Welcome back to another episode of the Testudo Times podcast with your hosts, Sam Ostry and Ben Dixon. We have a lot to get to. Uh, we're going to break down the entire Maryland Northwestern game where Maryland clinched bowl eligibility at its earliest date since 2001. We'll break down that entire game. Maryland's on a bye week, so there's no preview that we have coming up this week, but we will talk about Maryland basketball, do a complete roster breakdown. But first, Ben, how are you doing on this Wednesday? Doing great, Sam. It's a good Wednesday so far, and it's crossover season football and men's basketball kind of combining at once. Hectic time for Maryland athletics and for us, but, you know, really excited about the uh, the seasons happening at the same time. The football team has been exciting and we got a basketball team to look ahead to as well. Sure is. Yeah. And we will talk about that basketball team in great detail uh, at the end of the show and also next week. But first, let's talk about that Maryland football win over Northwestern. Like I said, Maryland moves to six and two overall in the season. Clinches bowl eligibility with that win. The earliest date since since uh, 2001, which is another mark of growth and a significant mark for this program that they were able to clinch bowl eligibility this early on in the season. And the fact that they are six and two, but they do have a very tough stretch of games coming up, which which we'll talk about um, with Wisconsin, Penn State, and Ohio State before finishing the season with Rutgers. Um, so four games left on the schedule. We'll see how many wins they can finish with. The fact that they're 6-2 and two already, um, what does that signify kind of just about the, the program's growth and, and the development that, that Loxley has taken this place from last year? Last year was the first time they were bowl eligible since 2016, but that bowl eligibility eligibility didn't come until the last game of the season against Rutgers. And now it's not even November yet. It's not even Halloween yet. And Maryland's bowl eligible. It's crazy. The earliest date on the calendar that they've clinched bowl eligibility since October 11th, 2001. Uh, To put that in perspective, I was eight days old at the time of uh, when that happened. Um, So it it really is just crazy to think about. And maybe Loxley and, and the program may, you know, downplay the accomplishment uh, because, you know, this team can still do bigger things with four games left in the schedule. And this team also could easily be seven and one, given that they would have won maybe that Purdue or or Michigan game as well. But it is a, it is a huge accomplishment. You talk about taking the next step. Um, I'm not sure bowl eligibility now is necessarily the next step. I think the goal looking at, at, at the schedule of preseason, the coaching staff was probably to clinch it by the bye week, which they did. And I think the goal is just for greater things after the bye week. I think two and two is probably a realistic goal. We can talk about resetting expectations in a little, but it is a major, major accomplishment for this program. Maryland football, you know, a program that's been the laughing stock of the Big Ten at times, along along with Rutgers, has kind of put that in the rearview mirror here. They've become, you know, a formidable team this year, one that has competed with every team they've played, even the two games they lost. Uh, Purdue, obviously, they should have won, but Michigan going toe to toe with them as well. Just a really, really impressive start for Maryland, I think, and just big picture wise, it's kind of validation for what Locks is building so far. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I mean, we're not going to go there, but you could easily make the argument that this team could be seven and one, maybe even eight and zero if a couple of things go their way. Um, they're right there, really, uh, of the chance of being eight and zero. Maybe even some some officiating calls there, but we're, we're not going to go there. That's just it's 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 a huge step in the right direction for Loxley's program, and the fact that he does downplay it means that he's kind of set the standard that they should be bowl eligible every single year, and they shouldn't have to wait until the last game of the season to pick up that sixth win. And it kind of is the standard now. Once you build that program, and he deserves a ton ton of credit for building this program from the absolute bottom to where it is now. Um, a program, we, we don't have to go there, but a program just completely in shambles. I mean, absolute disarray, a laugh, like you said, a laughing stock, controversy riddled, just a complete joke of a program that he took over and built them back up 
um, to, to a team that's that's competing in the Big Ten among the best. Um, and, and now the standard is that they are bowl eligible every single year um, moving forward. And, and it's just uh, a really, I guess, uh, it's really just it's an, a huge accomplishment for Loxley and the, for his ability to recruit for the entire coaching staff as a whole. But let's talk about how they became bowl eligible because Maryland, it wasn't easy at all. It was the Billy Edwards Jr. game. Um, Talia Tagovailoa was obviously out against Northwestern with an MCL sprain. He was a game-time decision going into the game, but uh, Billy Edwards told us that he found out he, was, he would be playing on Wednesday. And uh, so he, he found out on Wednesday, and he took the start on Saturday, and he led them to a win. First, let's just start with uh, what were your impressions of, of Billy Edwards? Look, I thought we saw the good and the bad from Billy. I, I noted it in, in my takeaway story from the Northwestern game. I think there were times where he looked really good. Um, you know, the touchdown drive where I think he went four for five could be incorrect there. Um, yeah, four for five passing for 57 yards uh, on a 12 play, 87 yard drive on, on his fourth drive was impressive. I think maybe his best play of the day was one that isn't really showing up on the stat sheet. He had a beautiful toss to Kim Jarrett in, in the back corner of the end zone. Uh, that Jarrett dropped, but you know, it, it is what it is there. And I, I think we saw the bad as well. I think we saw him get overwhelmed by some pressure at times, but we've also seen him, you know, use his legs and, and turn plays into first downs as we saw kind of toward the end of the game there as well. I think what you saw from Maryland is a guy that can win a game that you're supposed to win, which is very good when you have a backup court. It's very good to have a backup quarterback in that situation. Excuse me. Because Northwestern is, is, you know, let's face it, a really, really bad team. Yes, it was competitive, but at the end of the day, W is a W. Billy Edwards stepped in. He got the win. Not sure you can say that for, you know, backup quarterbacks in the past where uh, a starting Maryland quarterback would get hurt and then the season would spiral. Um, Tulia Tagovailoa should be back for Wisconsin. Loxley said that is the expectation. But I think the glimpse that we saw from Billy, maybe not his best performance, definitely not his worst, but he did get the win and his first career start, and you really can't be uh, – you have to be pleased with that. Yeah, first things first, Maryland is lucky they were playing the worst team in the Big Ten that week, the week that, that there's question marks of if Talia can play. If it was a better opponent, if the bye wasn't coming up, who knows if Talia would be playing? Um, it's a question for another day. But but the fact that Billy Edwards came in and did his job, and that's really all he had to do. He he, he didn't look great in the start of that game. Obviously, the offense was very much struggling. Those Through those first few possessions, they couldn't even pick up a first down, really. Um, they picked up one first down for the through the first three drives, he was really struggling. Um, Loxie kind of talked about it after the game, how he looked a little nervous with his feet and it hit his rotation of the ball, just going through his progressions. It wasn't really um, up to standard, but as the game went on, he got more comfortable. He relaxed a little bit and he looked much better and he really did his job. I mean, that was his first career start. He's had some drives here and there, but that was his first career start and the first time he played a full game in college football. So that it, I think it was an impressive performance and I would, I would give it a pretty high grade given that he didn't have to be some superstar. He wasn't going to be Talia Tagovailoa when he was throwing um, throwing deep balls, extending plays with his legs, and and just putting up the the sheer numbers that Talia does week to week. We were no one was expecting that from him, but the fact that he came in was eighteen for twenty eight, one hundred sixty six yards passing, one touchdown, and he had sixty six yards rushing because he is an elusive runner. Um, he did his job without a doubt. Um, I think that you know with Billy. Um, he is a really, really athletic guy, as we saw with his legs. I think the biggest thing, though, he didn't turn the ball over, right? He had, he had, I think, the one or two drop snaps, um, but quickly pounced on and, and recovered from on that, you know, 
fourth drive where I mentioned that he scored a touchdown earlier. He did, you know, fumble a snap and then recovered and, and continued to lead the Terps to a touchdown there. I think in the second half, the biggest difference we saw with him, maybe his decision-making got a little better, but it, it's really notable that this run game led by Roman Hemby kind of opened up the pass game for him. When you have a guy like Roman Hemby, who's just been a complete revelation, a superstar for this Maryland offense, to be quite frank, it makes life on the quarterback so much easier. And you're not really asking Billy to do the things that Talia has to do game in and game out. When you have a consistent running game like that, it can really just help the young quarterback kind of find his way and, and make smart decisions. Like we saw. Yeah. The no that's, that's exactly where I was going to go. And because that really is the story of this game and the story of this offense is uh, the rushing attack they were able to put together. When you have a backup quarterback, that's the game plan always. You know, you don't want to put him, you don't want to have him throw the ball 35, 40 times a game. You want to put him in a position where he can rely on the offensive line and the run game. And in the first half, um, really, Northwestern was bringing the blitz. I mean, they were putting as much pressure as possible on um, on Billy Edwards, and, and Maryland's offensive line kind of struggled to, to, pick, to pick up on that, and Billy Edwards was under a ton of pressure. As the game went on, they, they I don't know if they went away from that or the offensive line just they had more guys blocking, but they really did a much better job of uh, Billy Edwards wasn't even under near as much pressure as he was to open the game. And a huge part of that is what you talked about in the running game. I mean, Roman Hemby had 24 attempts, 179 yards, three touchdowns, and the, the most important one was when they needed it most, he exploded. It was a tie game. He exploded for what it was a one play drive, handed it off to him after a touchback, 75 yards to the house. Roman Hemby went all the way to, to give them the lead that they, that they never gave up the rest of the way. Um, so he was phenomenal. When you have someone like that, that you can just put the ball in, in his hands and you have a playmaker on the back in the backfield. It takes so much pressure off Billy Edwards. And who knows how this game would have ended at, at turned turned out if, if, Maryland didn't have that run game to rely on or that rusher in Billy Edwards. I mean, excuse me, in Roman Hemby. And it should be noted that Antoine Littleton, which has been Maryland's second back this season, he uh, he was expected to play, but he kind of tweaked something in warmups and he was available to play if they needed him. But uh, Roman Hemby was clicking and then they didn't want to aggravate anything else with Antoine Littleton. So he didn't play at all uh, in this game. Yeah, I think it makes it all that more impressive. I was going to bring that up. The fact that he and Littleton are different backs. Uh, Littleton has showed his speed, but more of a, a power guy, and they use him in pretty much every short yardage situation. Roman Hemby, you know, he did it all by himself on on Saturday, and it, it was just so, so impressive to see what he, he's been doing. You know, the first Terp with three touchdowns since, I think, Javon Leak in 2018 against Illinois, and I think he even had four that game because he had a kick return touchdown as well. But this guy, I think the longest touchdown run since McFarland in 2019. I mean, he's setting the new standard for the Maryland run game, and and he's only a redshirt freshman. He's right there in the running for, you know, Big Ten freshman of the year, as we saw, you know, the Maryland football count post yesterday with that uh that Halloween costume meme that I'm not really understanding. But um, <laughs> yeah, kind of, I, I don't get it either, Ben. <laughs> really, really, really weird one, but. You know, Roman Hemby is has been integral to winning. You can argue just as much as any other facet of, of this team right now. This kid has turned into, you know, a star for Maryland. I don't want to beat a dead horse here, but, but he is just so important to this offense out of the backfield, breaking off these big runs. I mean, he was the reason why Maryland beat Northwestern, obviously the defense as well, but offensive output wise, I mean, he was just special once again. Absolutely. He carried the offense like no other. And it's just really interesting because Maybe they maybe they believed it before the season in that Maryland, the coaching staff in, in, in Jones Hill's house, Jones Hill House building. They they really, truly believe that they had something special. But I don't think 
and no one, nobody on the outside knew. And it's really hard to even think that they would imagine that his first year as being the RB one, that he would explode and have the season that he's having. I mean, he has been phenomenal. And we talked about before the season, why he got that starting position. It was because it was Loxy called him Mr. Consistency. He was able to block. He was able to catch passes. And obviously he was capable of exploding for big runs, but he has just turned into a, a really great back in this conference and in the entire country, really. He just picked up the second Big Ten Freshman of the Week award after his performance. Uh, it was announced yesterday, but he has just been phenomenal all season long. And, and the question goes moving forward is, number one, it's a priority for Maryland to be able to keep him because he will be recruited heavily. Um, whether he goes to the transfer portal or not, I'm not saying he will or won't, but there will be a lot of teams trying to poach him away with maybe some lucrative deals as well. It's going to be important for Maryland to keep him. Loxie talks about how you have to re-recruit guys all the time. He's going to be one of them after his breakout season this year. But then if he does stay, he's going to have a phenomenal historic career in a, in a Maryland uniform because this is, like you said, as a redshirt freshman, he has a lot of years to go and he could be a really special player. Without a doubt, I mean, this guy's on pace for over a thousand yards this year, and it's his first full year playing college football. Really remarkable what he's done. Uh, he's, he's a Maryland kid. I, I don't think I would expect anything with that in the future, like you just mentioned. But you know, you really never know in this landscape of college football. I mean, Maryland lost all their four and five star linebackers last year, and it's a different landscape. Got to take it, you know, one game, one year at a time. But I, this guy's just been so huge to to Maryland's success this year. And and like you said, as long as he remains a Terp, this guy's in line for a, a really special career as a running back. Yeah, and uh, so let's talk about a little bit more about the offense, just uh, the receiving game. Obviously, the run game is, re- is really what carried this offense. They had 250 250- 257 yards rushing and 160 yards passing. And that's really what it came down to because Northwestern also didn't go with their normal starter. I don't know exactly why, if he was banged up, if he kind of got benched. But Ryan Halinski is Northwestern's normal starting quarterback. But he didn't play a snap against Maryland. It was announced right before the game. Brandon Sullivan took it all. When you have two backup quarterbacks, it's really going to come down to who can run the ball more efficiently and more effectively. And Northwestern was dominating the run game through that first half and, and through a large part of the game. But uh, Roman Hemby's explosion and, and Billy Edwards as a rusher too. Uh, they kind they kind of just led this Maryland offense um, to, to, to a victory. But I want to talk about the receiving game a little bit. So for Kim Jarrett had a very nice game. He had eight catches for 82 yards and, and a touchdown. Billy Edwards had a nice pass to him along the left sideline where he was just wide open, kind of floated up a ball for him. And Rakim Jarrett just walked right in the end zone. The rest of the wide receivers didn't do much. Jacob Copeland, one catch. Deshaun Jones, one catch. Dante Demas continues to, to struggle a little bit or not, not be uh, too vocal, focal in the offense. Um, what were your impressions from the run, uh, excuse me, from the wide receiver room? That's really been, there's been a lot of questions about it just because it's really struggled this year. Yeah, um, Kim got really a lot of targets from Billy. I think it was 11 targets, um, and he could have had an even better game if he caught that uh, that touchdown in the backcourt of the end zone, which I mentioned before. But obviously he was elusive. Um, I think uh, maybe against Northwestern, it, it's kind of just, you know, a new quarterback there because, you know, Copeland didn't get involved that much. Uh, Corey Dietrich's only one catch. You see him, you know, one of Talia's favorite targets. Uh, but, yeah, the wide receiver room as a whole, it seems like we kind of talk about it every week. Um, yes, they haven't played up to expectations, but I think the flip side of that is when you look at a guy like Rakim Jarrett and, and how he helped Billy Edwards find success against Northwestern, the few, you know, big throws he had to make, um, it's helpful because at the end of the day, this wide receiver room is still really, really talented. 
I think with four games left, the talk of it being, you know, one of the best wide receiver rooms in the country is completely out the window, in my opinion. But it's still a really talented room. No one's discounting the production or, or potential for production from any of these guys, whether it be Jay Sean Jones, Copeland, Jarrett, you know, or Dante Demas, who's, like you mentioned, kind of still struggling to, to find his footing 100% here. But this, along with those guys and the tight ends in Dietrich and Dupree, excuse me, this is a really, really talented group of guys who can catch the ball. I mean, Talia's kind of spread the wealth all season long, multiple games with 10 plus receivers. And there's nothing really to worry about, but it, it's not really, you know, the dynamic top three, top 10 group in the country that we expected going into the season. Yeah, no, it's not. And we'll continue to monitor it. Maybe when Talia comes back. Um, they'll kind of get the explosion. I think a lot of people are just waiting for Dante Demas. Uh, we talked to him uh, uh, for the Northwestern game, and he said, we talked to Dante Demas last week before the Northwestern game, and he said that he was 100%, even though a couple weeks before, Loxley said that he's probably not 100%. Um, you know, it's 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 difficult, obviously, coming back from that from that injury, and he came back pretty quickly. Obviously, he got the go ahead that he was good to go, but he came back pretty quickly, so it's different. But we'll continue to monitor that wide receiver room that really had a lot of NFL expectation, and, and a lot of those those guys kind of, uh, I guess, ranking might be drop maybe dropping it in, in in the scouts' eyes, and lot and all of them, maybe all of them, were trying to go to the NFL after the season. So so we'll see what happens there. Let's talk about the defense a little bit in this game. Because it wasn't just a next man up performance from Maryland's uh, quarterback position. Maryland was down a bunch of guys. Ruben Hippolyte continues to be out. Uh, the the experienced linebacker who brings a, a very nice veteran pre- presence to that defense. But also, Jay Sean Barham, the true freshman who has maybe been the most dominant force on Maryland's defense this entire season. He's just been phenomenal. He injured. He was injured the week before in the Indiana game, and he did not suit up against Northwestern. And then Gavin Gibson didn't play. Corian Bennett did come back after not playing the week before in the, in the Indiana game. So Maryland's been mixed up with a ton of injuries. Um, it's a perfect time for them to have a bye because a lot of those guys have been banged up, and hopefully they can all come back. But uh, what were your impressions of the defense? Kind of down a bunch of men against, uh, again, a backup quarterback and a pretty bad Northwestern team. Yeah, the next man up mentality, right? You're pretty much starting a, a whole new linebacker core with, you know, Barham, uh, Hippolyte, and Vandarius Cowan all being out that game. You kind of lost a little bit with with Gavin Gibson in the secondary, but then you get a guy like Glenn Miller back as well. I think it's, it, the, you know, it's going to sound repetitive every single week, but it's the takeaway every single week. These second half turnovers and these defensive adjustments in the second half are, is winning Maryland football ball games. It is amazing to say both safeties had an interception, Dante Trader uh, with one in the third quarter, and then Bo Braid to ice the game. I think we got to talk about Bo Braid, Sam, because, you know, Barn was out, whatever it is, you can make an argument for him. I think he's been the best player on this defense so far. Just his growth as as a hitter, running across the field, making tackles where you know you wouldn't expect him to, coming up with timely takeaways as well. He has been ultra important to Maryland's success on the defensive end. Yeah, I mean, people talk about Maryland as a, a wide receiver you all the time. Wide res- Mar- Maryland is becoming a DBU. I mean, they've been producing some phenomenal backs. Obviously, uh, last year. Um, Jordan Mosley and Nick Cross, who both are in the NFL right now. Um, but then they lose those guys. And these next guys, they, they, it's the depth they've created through recruiting. But these next guys just step, step up have been phenomenal. You talk about Bo Bray. You talk about Deontay Banks. You talk about Dante Trader. Obviously, Ja'Cory Bennett has proven proven what he can do. Um, Tarheeb still as well. 
But this, this this secondary is really strong, and and sometimes they struggle to get to the quarterback, and and the, that front seven kind of struggles, whether in three four or four three pass rush, they really struggle to kind of put pressure on the opposing quarterbacks. But this secondary has been phenomenal in coverage all season, and yeah, I mean you're right, Bo Braid probably has been one of the best, if not the best. Um, uh, defensive player on this team right there with Jay Sean Borham. Dante Trader is the other one who's got the interception. Um, and Maryland's continuing to win the turnover battle, which is which is huge for them. Again, you win games when you win the turnover margin. Um, but this defense as a whole, they, they've been surprising. They've had up and downs, ups and downs this season, but their second half performances have been really encouraging and, and really dominant no matter who they're playing. It is crazy, and you have to give credit to Brian Williams week in and week out. I don't know what they're feeding these guys at halftime, but uh, I mean, Some Michael Jordan's juice or whatever. Yeah, what was maybe, that called from Space Jam? Drinking this, this uh, I don't know. This his special his, juice or something. I forgot what it was called. That or and too young for that. Yeah, we are. But um, it, it's it's amazing what the defense has done in the second half. Just turning around from the first. Not that they've been terrible in the first half, but it seems like they've started drives in the second half with with takeaways more often than not. It, it's just, they're just complete game changers. Maryland was losing this game. Uh, to Northwestern like it it would have been a terrible terrible loss regardless of if Talia or Billy Edwards was was starting at quarterback and the defense kind of really turned it around in the second half you, you got to just be you got to tip your cap to Brian Williams for, for what he's done in these second halves and kind of getting these guys to play at another level and it's, generate some of these takeaways that are game-changing it's phenomenal look Maryland's trailing 17 to 10 at halftime and then you go into the third quarter I think I turned to you and said is like it's like if Maryland's defense on this again in the third quarter, the offense just needs to do their job, and they did. I mean, Maryland's defense again in this game in the in the third quarter gave up zero points. I think it's the last four or five games in the third quarters they've given up a total of three points. There's something about these third quarters where they've been so dominant. They really just limit the other offense completely out of halftime, and if their offense can do their job, the third quarter is kind of where they, they uh, blow the game up, they'll, they'll take a lead, and then it becomes a fourth quarter game, and they've been, t- been able to take care of business most of the time this season in that fourth quarter, but these third quarters have been incredibly dominant from this defense, and it, it starts with those defensive backs that have been able to generate a ton of interceptions. Again, when we talk about this is a team and a program that has really struggled the takeaway battle, to, to win the takeaway battle and to, to generate those interceptions. But these guys back there have been phenomenal. And Bo Bray, Dante Trader, um, Deontay Banks, all those guys, Shakorian Bennett, of course, all of them have been phenomenal in, in generating turnovers this year. Right. That. And then, you know, we, we mentioned the next man up mentality. It's just amazing how these guys can just, you know, plug and play and then, then just produce with guys out. It, it's really impressive. Like you said, with Loxley and recruiting, you know, Brian Williams staff are kind of developing these guys during the year and, and making sure they're ready to go when their number is called. And then just, you know, the second half defense in general, which we've mentioned, really just I- impressed by Maryland's defense kind of changing the narrative this season. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 been a complete team performance. Sometimes it's the defensive carries in the second half. Sometimes it's offense in in the first in the first half. Usually it had been with Talia under center because they've been really successful scoring on opening drives didn't happen with billy edwards um but like you said um this this will be known as the billy edwards game because talia is expected to come back against wisconsin that's what loxley told us that bye week certainly helps when he has that extra time uh to rest this weekend um he was was an mcl sprain we expect it'll continue to wear that knee brace which he was he was being forced to wear when he had the injury after he injured the mcl this first time against michigan 
But this will be known as the Billy Edwards game, hopefully. And that's all, for Maryland fans, hopefully that's all they, they're going to get from Billy Edwards this season because Talia will continue to stay healthy moving forward. Um, but yeah, it was the Billy Edwards game. I mean, there's nothing else to say about that. Everyone will always remember it as that. And it's the game that they clinched bowl eligibility for in 2022. Yep, big deal all around in all those aspects that you mentioned. And maybe maybe Billy Edwards goes on to start one day next year, the year after, and and becomes a star for Maryland. And, and Maryland fans can kind of look back at this game and laugh. But don't need to get too ahead of ourselves here. But yeah, I mean, it was, it was like, like a, I think I think there that was a little bit of a conversation. Is like if people were looking at this game, like can Billy Edwards carry moving forward? Is he a legitimate starting quarterback? I don't know that we found out an answer. We probably certainly um, did not. I would I would say that. Um, I, I would say that Billy Edwards, uh, I think he did a good enough job. He's proved that he's a, a very good backup quarterback. It, it can be in this league. If he's a starter, who knows yet? Yeah, we will see. Because I, I remember Talia's uh, first game in a Maryland uniform, I think, at, at Northwestern in 2020. was not a good one either, but obviously don't want to jump to conclusions at all here. Um, but, you know, Billy... Not, not that you necessarily love what you saw, but he he did win a game, and and you know you got to give him credit for that. Absolutely. Um. So now as we look at the that kind of outlook for the rest of the season, um, for Maryland football, they are six and two. They've clinched bowl eligibility. Really, now it's about stacking up those wins and trying to get to the best bowl game possible, better than the pinstripe bowl, which they went to last year when they were six and six. Um. Like I said, Maryland has a really tough schedule. Uh, moving forward, when they come back from the bottom November fifth, they're going to be at Wisconsin. Then they're going to be at Penn State, and they return home for Ohio State. Um, and then they'll close out the season against a Rutgers team. So they'll be they'll be underdogs against Wisconsin, against Penn State, against Ohio State, and then they'll probably be favored against Rutgers in the last game of the season. What is your record prediction as we stand right now? Maryland six and two with four games remaining. Yeah, it's tough. I've kind of been wavering back between, you know, seven and five and, and eight and four, assuming that Rutgers game is is the shoe in there. Um, this Wisconsin game is going to tell us a lot about the rest of the season uh, because I don't think they're going to beat Penn State and I don't think there's any chance they beat Ohio State at home. I actually I don't want to get too ahead of predictions right right now. And, and you know, we'll fully scout Wisconsin next week. But I think this is a really winnable game for Maryland. Both teams do have the bye week. Yes. And Wisconsin did, you know, just beat Purdue up really, really badly. But we will see. I, I think this Maryland-Wisconsin game is probably more of a coin flip than we expected to be at the beginning of the season. Wisconsin oh, absolutely. Going through a lot of turmoil, but still probably, you know, the better team. They'll be favored by what? My, my prediction will probably be three and a half at home against Maryland, and maybe Maryland will be favored by three at home. Who who knows? You know, I, I think it's a pretty even matchup, all things considered. Um, it's going to be hard to go into Camp Randall and, and win that game at Wisconsin. But I think it's one they can get done, and I think it's kind of like a a, a show me game for for Loxley and his program. Like you want to you want to prove kind of not that it's a, a must win game, but if if you want to take that you know next step, not not necessarily have to win that game, but you don't want to go zero and three in that three game stretch against Wisconsin, Penn State, and Ohio State. You want to probably win one of those on the road because I don't think there's any chance they beat Ohio State. Um, I, I think Maryland can prove a lot of things at Wisconsin, and I, I think my early prediction here is, is going to be a win there. But we'll, we'll revisit that next week. So you're saying eight and four? I think eight and four. Yeah, I think I think this this is this team. I just I don't know. I, I feel like this team is much better than than a seven and five record from what we've seen so far. Yes, Northwestern they were down a lot of players, 
But like they, they should have beaten Purdue. They should easily be seven and one right now. And, and yes, they're not. And hindsight is, of course, 2020. But this is a really, really talented Maryland team. And it, it doesn't feel like, you know, seven and five is necessarily taking the next step. I do think eight and five with with the bowl win included would be a really successful season. But I think eight and four would be like, wow, that was a great season for Maryland. Yeah, I agree. If they can go eight and four, I think that's a huge progress from six and six. And I think both of us and a lot of people before the season kind of were were predicting seven and five. That would be the record. Um, Eight and four would be a huge uh, step and a jump. I think we all fully expect them to beat Rutgers at home that last game of the season, no matter what plays out between now and then. So there's Maryland's seventh win here. Um, I I don't think Maryland's going to get that eighth win. Um, I, I, you know, Wisconsin game is going to be a really great game, I, I think. But I do think they're on the road. It's going to be a great environment, Wisconsin. This Wisconsin team is starting to play better. Yes, two weeks ago they lost to Michigan State in overtime, a bad Michigan State team that Maryland beat up on. But last week they were kind of getting back on the right track. They beat Purdue at home, and this was a Purdue team that Maryland should have, probably should have beat, but they lost to. So I think Maryland, Wisconsin's starting to play better. I think they are going to dominate the. We're not going to do a complete preview because we'll do that next week. But I think uh, Wisconsin will be able to dominate the run game and Maryland struggled against against the rush this, this season defensively and they control the clock. They're at home. I think it's going to be a really great game, fourth quarter game. I think you're right about the line, maybe three and a half, four, maybe even five in Wisconsin's favor, especially because they're at home. But I just don't think Maryland's going to win that game. If they do, that's a, a one of those program-defining wins where they should, that'll be their seventh win. They should be able to get, be able to, get to eight wins. Um, you look further on their schedule. In the beginning of the year, I really thought that they they were going to have a shot. And I think I predicted it. They would beat Penn State. This Penn State team is much better than I thought. Penn State has really struggled in the last few years, but they've had like four or five lost seasons those last few years. But this is going to be a, a two-loss Penn State team again this year. I think they lose to Ohio State this this weekend, and then this is a Penn State team that only lost to Michigan and um, and Ohio State, two teams that they're just they're just worse than in the Big Ten East. But so I think this is a really good Penn State team. I don't think they're going to have a shot at beating them on the road and state college. And then Ohio State, don't even need to talk about that one. Maryland has no shot in that one. And then you go to then you go to Rutgers and uh, they should be able to beat Rutgers. So it really comes down to this Wisconsin game. This is the winnable game where if they're going to if the path to eight wins is going to happen, it's going to have to be a win over Wisconsin on November 5th. Out of, right now, my early inclination, I'm not giving a prediction, but right now it's, it's that Maryland will not win this game. And, and you're right about the seven and five, but like it, it doesn't feel this, this team feels like a team better than seven and five. It doesn't feel like really taking the next step because they were six and six last season. But look, they dealt with a lot of injuries all year. Obviously, Talia a little banged up. The Purdue game, you're always going to look at this season and be like, how did Maryland possibly lose that game? They play in the Big Ten East, a really challenging conference. Um, a really challenging schedule overall when they when just challenge just there's so many challenges this year and the year's far from over but I still think a seven to five would be a very successful season I agree with that as well I'm, I'm just saying I don't think I think yes there's success but I think they'll their success in finishing seven and five but I think there will be a little bit of you know hindsight looking back ah we should have beaten Purdue uh, maybe we could have caught Michigan on the road um, but, but we'll see. I, I agree. Seven to five would be a successful season. I think eight wins would be a great season. And I think the fact that we're even talking about that this team is built for that and that they have a chance maybe in one of those two road games on um, the next couple of weeks after the bye um, is impressive in itself. Yeah. I mean, before the year, I think we both predicted seven to five and, and the way to get to eight was that they were going to 
beat upset a team that they shouldn't beat for the first year ever. And that was kind of taking the next step. They haven't really done that. You can say historically Michigan State has beat up on them, but this Michigan State team is really bad this year. So in terms of a game where they're going to be underdogs in, that I don't they they haven't won a game where they're underdogs in this season, right? I mean, yeah, they haven't. They've they've been yeah, favored yeah. in every game they've won, and yep. they'll they'll probably be underdogs in the next three. And and it, you're talking about beating a team that you're not supposed to beat, that you're not expected to beat, that's a sign of taking the next step as well. So that could come the next three weeks. I don't really expect it to, but but that would that would be huge for this program too. Yeah, I mean, they've been favored in, in seven of the eight games. I will say, uh, you bring up those preseason predictions, and yes, we both had seven and five. I will say, even if they do finish seven and five, this team is a lot better than I thought they would be in preseason. I think I think that's a fair statement to make. Absolutely, and I think, yeah, I would I would say so. I mean, in some regards, I think Talia is probably about what we've expected this year. If, if we want to go there, um, which is which is a great quarterback, phenomenal uh, playmaker. The the wide receiver room has not been what we expected at all, but the but the running the running game has been much better than anyone expected. We thought this was going to be a complete pass heavy offense. It hasn't had to rely on that. The tight end room is better. I mean, the defense is probably a little bit better, especially in the second half. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would I would agree with that. But I think there was a lot of expectation going into this year. That this was a very talented, experienced group, and they should be able to 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 rack up some wins. Definitely. I think you were a little bit more optimistic than me going to the season. Yeah. Um, and I think that's just my, Probably why I, I, watching... I'm taking this perspective now. Right. And then that's just my default watching Maryland football my whole life. But um, yeah, th- this team is definitely different than, than any I've watched, uh, you know, at least since they've joined the big 10. Yeah. All right. So we'll see how the rest of the season plays out next week. We will give a full conf- uh, Wisconsin preview Um because Maryland will have their bye this week. They'll have some time to rest up, get healthy, and then they'll be on the road to Wisconsin November 5th. So next week, we'll talk about that Wisconsin preview and the rest of Maryland football season. But before we wrap up here, let's talk about Maryland uh, men's basketball. We're less than two weeks away from the opener, um, which will be November 7th, uh, the Monday. So we're really 12 days away from Maryland men's basketball's start of the season. Kevin Willard, the Kevin Willard era will officially commence. We talk about before the season, preseason, Maryland football having a lot of expectation. I think everyone, including us, have zero expectation for this Maryland basketball team. Um, let's let's give a let's. I don't even know where to go with this. Where, where do you want to start with this this Maryland basketball breakdown? I guess we can start with kind of you know more narrow expectations for this year. I, I think kind of like you mentioned, Sam, we're not really expecting too much this season. I think Willard did a really good job making this roster just from the standpoint of not stepping on anyone's toes. That's, that's a big thing he's mentioned here in the preseason of kind of, you know, allowing guys like Dante Scott and Nakeem Hart to stay at Maryland and, and finish their careers without bringing in anyone to step on their toes. And, you know, that's kind of exactly what he did. He brought in Don Carey and, and Jameer Young to form a new starting backcourt to fill the shoes of uh, Eric Ayala and Fats Russell. I think the starting five, when you look at it at, at first glance, is actually pretty solid uh, between Young, Carey, Hakeem Hart, Dante Scott, and Julian Reese. I think there's a lot of potential there. I think the bench unit is something we can get into, and I'm not necessarily confident on, on what they provide. But I, I think we see some, you know, analysts maybe trying to make, you know, the sexy pick and, and pick Maryland to finish sixth in the Big Ten and, and make the tournament. And and maybe people have higher expectations than us because, you know, they, they've, they've seen Willard before on, on more of a firsthand basis than we have. But I, I just don't think this roster is that great, Sam. I, I know they competed with Virginia in, in the secret scrimmage, a team that's supposed to be, you know, top 15 team in the country going into the year, maybe. Um, but I think just expectations for this year in general 
or this year specifically, excuse me, kind of have to be limited to, you know, maybe fighting on, on the bubble and, and ha- having shots to make the tournament. I think long-term though, there's a lot to be excited about. Yeah. I mean, I think it just depends on kind of the jump that those returning guys make. And, and you're right. I think Wheeler did a very solid job in his first year building the roster, keeping guys, but also not letting guys transfer, convincing them to stay, but also not stepping on, on the, their toes and bringing in transfers that complement them well. Um, but the, this bench really struggling and, and there, whatever happens this year is no indication on Willard and the success he may or may not have moving forward. It's, you can't judge a coach in his first year in, in the nature of college basketball when, when you're given the rosters that you're given. Um, I do agree that it's a solid starting lineup. I mean, Jameer Young, um, I think he's going to have some growing pains in the Big Ten a little bit, but he was very good for Charlotte. He can score in a variety of ways, a good cutter off the ball, um, can shoot it, loves to play in a pick and roll. So I'd like to see maybe some him and Dante pick and pop, maybe some him and Julian Reese pick and roll. But I think it really comes down to the jump that the returning guys um, need to make. And that's that's Dante Scott. You want to see there's no reason for Dante Scott not to be able not to average 15 or 16 points a game. Um, his three point percentage after a, a really good uh, sophomore campaign shooting it from three. He re- those numbers really dipped. I think he was twenty three percent from three last year. He needs to have better shot so- shot selection, but then also just be able to knock down those threes. Whether it's off the dribble, whether whether it's in the pot, whether it's catch and shoot, whatever it is, he needs to be able to knock down those threes. Um, Hakeem Hart. He took a huge step last year defensively, constantly guarding the opposing team's best players, um, especially on the perimeter. You want to see his jump shot improve a little bit. You want to see him be more aggressive. And then Julian Reese is is the big mystery who had a very good freshman year um, for Maryland, but there was struggles with him fouling on the defensive end. You kind of want to see him take another jump. Um, and you, But that's the question. The question is really more about the bench. And, of course, Don Carey is going to provide three-point shooting and at the media day last week, one of the things they talked about a lot was uh, they're going to play pay with a ton, play with a ton of pace. They don't have a lot of bigs. They want to get up and down the floor. Dante Scott apparently lost 30 pounds, according to him and Coach Willard. But they're going to want to play with a lot of pace, get up and down the floor, make teams run, press teams, um, just kind of speed the game up, which is not a style that Maryland fans are used to. Uh, watching in recent years and also not a style that Kevin Willard fans or teams or fans that have supported Kevin Willard's teams at Seton Hall that they haven't done that so it's going to kind of be a learning curve for everyone Um, we talked about that Virginia scrimmage which we could talk about a little bit Um, I reported that Ian Martinez got a lot of a lot of time and I think he might be that that key guy off the bench for them he struggled a lot last year he was great not, I wouldn't say great. He was good, and then he came in and was really bad and got, kind of got benched. Um, but he's probably going to be that their sixth man this year. What are your impressions of him and really the rest of the bench? Yeah, I think Martinez is a bit of a polarizing player in a way. I mean, I don't, he only averaged 2.8 points per game last year. I do. I will give him credit. I do think he finished the year a lot stronger than, than he he started it, after, you know, and he had that injury as well that he came back from and played a little bit better. But and yes, he's super athletic. But when he came to Maryland, he was a guy that, you know, some people were kind of scouting as a dark horse NBA guy. And he came to Maryland and he was he was just not good last year. Shot 33 percent from the field, 27 percent from three, only 70 percent from the line. And, you know, we will see. Maybe he does take that that step forward this year. And, and you know, the college basketball season is the longest offseason in sports. So maybe he developed a lot on his game and and kind of worked on, you know, forming a more consistent shot, being able to attack the basket. And, and you know, he's going to be a high-volume guy as, as the sixth man, maybe someone who could even crack the starting lineup at times. And we know he is super athletic. 
you'd like to see a little bit more from him in terms of consistency with his offensive production, though. I think you look at some of the other guys on the bench. I think an X factor that we might see is Jahari Long, a guy that, you know, Willard loves from Seton Hall, didn't play last year really with a knee injury. I think only played five games. Um, and he told me, you know, his goal is to be one of the elite players in the country. And I'm not exactly sure about that, but Willard, you know, he loves this guy. He said he's going to be on his coaching staff one day. And, and, and if, you know, it doesn't work out for him on the court, but I, I think he could be someone we see given, you know, what we don't know about this bench. Um, Patrick Emilian from St. Francis, who knows what we'll see from him. And then I think another X factor for us, I know you talked to him, Sam, about his role is Ike Cornish, you know, coming off that red shirt year, didn't play at all his freshman year. Uh, and, you know, what are we going to see from him? We heard some some good reviews from him in practice last year. We know he's supposedly a, a really good shooter at 6'6", um, kind of a, a wing guy there. But we'll see, Sam. I think there's a lot of uncertainty with this bench. They could prove a lot of people wrong, but I think it's the reason why our projections for this team aren't necessarily high, just because there is that uncertainty. Yeah, and you talk about Ike Cornish. I'm really excited to see what he's going to bring just from a three-point shooting perspective because if this team's going to put up a lot of three-pointers, I think he's going to be part of that. And I did talk to him about the conversations he's had with Willard about his role in this team and kind of talked about how um, an energizer off the bench and kind of gave an offensive boost at times. And, and he said he's really comfortable with his shot right now. It's really working for him. He he spent last year as a redshirt and this entire offseason uh, really – kind of fixing, not fixing in a sense, but just adjust, adjusting his shot, and he's really comfortable with it, and the offensive player that he is, and and hopefully we see an aggressive Ike Cornish when he gets minutes, and hopefully we see a lot of minutes from him, because I think a lot of Maryland fans are very curious about the type of player he is and what he can bring. He said he's been working on his defense, too, which is was kind of the weaker part of his game, um, and there will be some learning curves, obviously, in his first real season as a college player, um, but I'm excited. I hope he gets a lot of time, so I really see... I Cornish, Ian Martinez, and and uh, like you said, Jahari Long as those top three guys off the bench. Um, maybe uh, Patrick Emilian, but you don't really go eight, nine deep in the rotation. But you might have to if you're going to play this fast style of play and put up a ton of shots. So it's going to be difficult. And but it really comes down to the 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 stealing for this team will come down to how much of a jump did those returners make, and 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 the adjustment that Jahari, Long, excuse me, that Jameer Young can make from um, from playing basketball in in a weaker conference to the Big Ten where it's really physical. Agreed, and we see a lot of guys struggle with that jump. But And real quick, before you go, Fats Russell really struggled with that jump in the beginning, and then and as the year went on, he became a phenomenal, aggressive scorer and, and really was dominating other Big Ten guards, but that, that was quite the learning curve for him. Yeah, I also think part of the learning curve with Jameer Young is, look, the guy was a 20-point-per-game scorer at Charlotte. He's not going to average that much because he's probably not going to get that much volume here at Maryland given you know guys like Dante Scott and Hakeem and, and Don Carey also in the lineup. And you got to feed Juju as well. But I, I do want to go through the rest of that bench given the uncertainty. You know, these other scholarship players in the roster. No bachelor's a freshman. Who knows what he's going to provide? Supposed to be a really good shooter at 6'6 as well. But, you know, who knows what you get from him as only a freshman, not the highest-ranked guy. Pablo Zuba barely played last season. The Ukrainian come from Arizona State. I think he was the youngest player in, in Division One a couple of years ago. Maybe he takes a step and plays this year. Who knows with him? And then also, uh, you know, the other guys that are scholarship players, Arnold Vaz, he'll never play. I'd be shocked to see if he plays. And then Caleb Swanton Roger, maybe a, a bit of a wild card there. 6'11, big man out of Canada, really unheralded, unheralded, excuse me. Maybe he'll play. Um, not really sure. Seems like more of a project there, but. You know, we, unfortunately, we don't get to see these secret scrimmages. We don't have the, the benefit of watching Maryland in an exhibition against, you know, God knows what college in North Carolina and see how Willard kind of runs through these rotations. So I think we'll we'll see a lot of experimenting, maybe some surprises 
um, in those first few games against Niagara, Western Carolina, and Binghamton before, you know, the schedule heats up. And we'll talk about the schedule next week. But the roster is really uncertain, in my opinion. And that's just my biggest concern because also, you know, as media members and, and watching Maryland basketball for years and kind of listening to this noise, we don't know what this bench is going to provide. We really don't. And in the Big Ten, you got to be able to throw big bodies out there when when Juju gets in foul trouble because he, he gets 3,000 and a half in the first half against Hunter Dickinson or Trish Jackson Davis um, from Indiana and Michigan. You know, we, we really don't know what we're going to see from this well, bench. That's, that's exactly that's, where that's I was going to The biggest thing for me. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going to go is that um, one of the big jumps I think a lot of people want to see is Julian Reese not committing stupid fouls and, and doing a better job defensively of walling up and not getting into foul trouble early on in games. Because last year you had, even though Kudus Wahab struggled, you had Kudus Wahab um, as the starting big. And, and when Julian Reese was in foul trouble, you could go to him. This year they're going to have to go small. There really is no other big. You're not really, I mean, you, you talked about um, Caleb Swat and Roger. I don't think anyone expects him to play any type of serious yeah. minutes. So you're really going to have to go back to Dante Scott as your center when Julian Reese has to sit on the bench. Um, and, and, you know, he's capable of doing that, certainly on both ends of the floor. He did it for, for Turgeon's team back in 2020 in that COVID year when they didn't have a big. But I really think, like, this I, – I just think this team is going to – is going to struggle in that, in that area. They're, they're going to play with a lot of pace, but it's, it's going to be ugly at times. They're probably going to shoot some very poor percentages, especially early on in the year. And again, we'll, we'll talk about more next week when we break down the schedule, but they have a very, very difficult schedule. So there's going to be some serious rough patches and they play in the hardest conference. Like, look, yep. like Maryland was, I believe the 10th seed in the big 10 last year. And, and almost all of their scoring came from their backcourt production. And Fats Russell and Eric Ayala, who really were two stars for the team. And and they're both gone. Like all, all that production, the scoring production from last year's team is gone. So it's really going to depend on on the jump that Dante Scott can make. Can he can he prove himself as maybe a legitimate NBA prospect? Because he's he's not that right now. Same thing with Akeem Hart. And then we'll see the jump about Julian Reese. Like I said, but it's it's a team that that isn't as talented as many of the other teams in the Big Ten. So I think the expectation is they're not really going to be competing in the Big Ten this year. Yeah, I think we'll also see, you know, you mentioned the bigs. Patrick Emelian, I think he only averaged like 0.3, three-point attempts for him last year. He'll probably play big, but he's only 6'7". Um, and I, I think that kind of plays into where we're going to see Ian Martinez get a lot of minutes because obviously when you run through this roster, it makes sense that they're going to try and run because they don't have the size to match some of these bigs in the Big Ten, like I mentioned. Um, so maybe we'll see small ball lineups where Ian Martinez, a super athletic guy, is running the floor and, and he's producing better as well. But we will see, Sam. I think both of us probably have these these same expectations for Maryland in the Big Ten and in the country. Um, you know, they'll, they'll get the chance. They'll start three and zero with, with three cupcakes, and then they, they really do have a, a you know a rigorous non conference schedule that we'll we'll get into next week. But this team will be tested in non conference, which I think is good um, for them heading into the uh, the really tough Big Ten, like you mentioned, year in and year out. So we will see uh, both of us, you know, timid expectations for this team. And but I am excited to watch them play because I think part of that uncertainty is is exciting. Yeah, I mean, there's there's certainly excitement around College Park and Xfinity Center because it is the beginning of a new era in Maryland basketball, the beginning of Kevin Willard's uh, reign as the head coach. And and everyone's excited to see what he can do. I think there's more excitement for next year, given the recruiting class that he's been able to put together for that season for that team. Um, Not so much this season. 
in terms of this roster, is not a lot of excitement. But in terms of Kevin Willard beginning his journey as Maryland men's basketball's head coach, I think there's excitement in that regard. So we'll see how this season plays out. There's always surprises. Look, Maryland was supposed to be one of the best teams in the Big Ten last year, and they ended up being one of the worst. And obviously, Turgeon and, and the turmoil that they were in last year uh, with him, you, you just, sometimes you never know. Sometimes great teams are bad. Sometimes bad teams are great. Preseason expectations only mean so much. Um, so you have to see it play out on the court, and we certainly will in, in 12 days, and we'll do more of a complete breakdown of Maryland men's basketball next week, and we'll talk some women's basketball and do some schedule breakdowns uh, as well. But for now, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. There's no Maryland football game this weekend, so enjoy your weekend off. We certainly will. We'll be back next week talk previewing the Wisconsin game uh, for Maryland football and talking more men Maryland basketball. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next week.